Hello, and welcome back to our special educational podcast, Shakespeare's Shaking It Up. Uh, <laughs> today, we have our extra special scholar, Magnus Cronum, excuse me, Dr. Magnus Cronum, and he's here to talk about a potentially new work he's found. So welcome, Dr. Magnus Cronum. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, again, it, it is Dr. Cronum, uh, the doctor, because I have a PhD in the study of Shakespeare's earlier works. And I am excited to announce that we have found a few fragments, new fragments uh, from his earlier time period, before 1592 even, from the time period when we had absolutely no idea what he was doing. Well, it turns out that he was working in what would be the equivalent of community theater at the time. And he wrote this, we believe the title is The Last Day. The Last Day. The Last Day. Very nice. So as I understand, I'm not a doctor. I am not Dr. Sapphire Ruby. I am just Ms. Ruby for everyone out there. Uh, Shakespeare's early works were a bit of a crapshoot. So uh, why don't you just lead us through this first scene and, and we'll, we'll see how this goes. Well, it's important to say that, that there are missing parts. So we're not exactly sure what preceded this scene, but we know that this is not the first scene of what he wrote. Uh, we believe that there might have been something destroyed in a fire, but uh, this is something where we believe something happened before that was quite dramatic, and the queen of the fairies is declaring war on all humankind. We're not sure why, but we do know that the queen of the fairies is quite angry. In fact, just broiling in rage, which is quite strange, perhaps, for a fairy. But I'll talk less and, and let you just listen to this just incredibly strong emotion. Oh, my wings doth quiver, my tutu it shakes, for I am fed up, fed up with these takes. Your Highness, you've burned the entire forest down. I fear that we will have nowhere else to be found. I see these humans. I do see them come. And they leave fire inside of the drum. For they burn paper, for they burn spit. For they fail to leave it where it should be. They moved my tree, my favorite tree they moved from me. The village ever expands, but we cannot tie their hands for we must learn a way to share these two lands. <laughs> I do not share, I need not share. For how does a queen share her fare? Your Highness, a queen must rule over her people. Do not mind another village that doth put up a steeple and chase us from our home. For 
home is where we are, and a family can travel both near or quite far. So it kind of sounds like here there's going to be this juxtaposition of worlds, uh, which we often find in Shakespeare themes, um, whether it be uh, between between camps, you know, the Montague Capulet sort of thing. Um, but I really don't get a sense of these worlds, Dr. Um, Dr. Cronin. Well, uh, Miss Ruby, uh, Sapphire, if I may, uh, or if you prefer, Miss Ruby. Oh, well, it's fine. Uh, I mean, Miss <laughs> Ruby, Miss Ruby. Um, the, the alternate world of which you speak, I believe we'll see in this next scene, for we take a gander at the humans. And what is really compelling about the humans, and, and I'm fairly sure that Shakespeare was trying to make a point here, was exactly how oblivious the humans are. It's unclear if the humans even realize what happened in the first scene whatsoever. It's hard to tell. Let's let's uh, go ahead and, and listen to the uh, the scene here, and and just if you can find really any connection between uh, the anger that we saw in the first scene and and the humans at all, it would it would really surprise me. I do like the view. I think the flowers are nice. I'm enjoying this beetle root, which I put upon my tongue and chew as the day grows long and the twilight will hit my eyes. Nothing pleases me more than the smooth smell of this lavender air. Ah, my smile stretches ear to ear, for I have no worries. Ah, my cheeks hurt. My belly does rumble with the sounds of pleasant contentment. The glory that binds us for leaving the great city, for this village expanse suits us much more down to the ground. I and no one is negatively affected for our actions, for everything we do is blessed. I think that's all nice. Tis a land untouched and unspoiled, even by us. As you can, as you can see, the, the humans just, they seem completely, almost mentally deficient, wouldn't you say, Miss Ruby? I would say it's also reflected in the language of the writing. It's almost um, colloquial, like the way we kind of speak. Yes, I believe Shakespeare was trying to make a point here. And I, I believe it's a political point that deals with the politics of the day, the, the common man, the common people. He was trying to make a statement about the common man being, well, frankly, just stupid and the aristocrat, the higher class being uh, somewhat above and, and higher. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that that is obvious? I'd say it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, this next scene uh, you have raved about on your public blog, magnuscronum.com. Um, and it's about the meeting of these two minds in the most, uh, strange place upon a bridge between the two kingdoms. 
obvious symbolism there, of course, but the meeting of the humans and of a particular fairy, I believe is, it's quite actually moving. You would think that there would be hideous conflict here, and, and there's a bit, but, but at the end of the day, the scene, it made me cry. Pray, before they arrive, I must tell you, I have left something of a trail so that their failure will lead them to me and I shall question and kill. I have taken the things that they care for, food, money, wood, and I have left a trail to this very bridge. And only then must they admit that they are wrong. And yet, and yet, my queen, dost thou not think that the humans be not all of ugliness? They are the ugliness that courses through the saddest wilted leaf and lily. For they are nothing but drunk and silly, for they trash about their city. And yet, and they and come yet, to my forest. And yet, my queen, the looks upon their faces when their eyes do blink and their eyelashes do flirt. Oh, I said flirt. It flirts upon my heart and my heart grows larger and it beats fast as a hummingbird would flit across the land. So too doth my heart move and there be one in particular. His name... Bartholomew, do you know a human? Do you know a human, Bartholomew? I, I know of human for... I see of him, and he know not of me, for I be behind a small little thimble. But and yet my eye sees a man large, so tall, that his head almost hits the wood of his house. Oh, the wood of his house that was taken from the trees. I know not, I am conflicted. Oi, brother Ron, brother Ron, there's the bridge. Are you sure you want to... Depart from me and leave this kingdom and go forth? Yea, sister, for I have lost all of my earthly possessions. My tunics, my trinkets, my groceries be but strewn on the other side of that bridge in a perfect line that I must collect. It is a sign from the gods. You know what they say about crossing and leaving, that perhaps the bridge be burned, and thou dost not come back. Sister Sassassus, I have not suffered a single consequence from any action that others have told me not to do, for I am blessed, and I shall claim what is rightfully mine, whether it be on this side of the bridge or as I see the other. Brother Ron, I, I don't have the, the patience nor the wherewithal to follow you. Please... Should you find something better, just stay there for good, because I cannot bear to part with the brother that I so dearly loved. Sister Sassassus, this is not a goodbye. This is merely a, I'll pave this path for you and show you the way. If thy not the stomach to cross this bridge yet, I will prove it to you, and I'll return. Good queen of fairies, the trap that thou hast set, that man 
that handsome man, the one of which I spoke, he walks forward. He walks closer into the trap and he will die. Dost thou love him for I care for you? Nay, I, I, I love not the one who would, who would hurt the... N- yeah, yeah, no, I, nay, I say lies. I love him. I, I run myself into the trap. Then do I, fly. Who need not go into the trap? Do just fly. He will die if he goes into the trap. You have, oh, oh, you have a way for me to save him without my own death. And here, Shakespeare leaves us on pins and needles, Dr. Cronum, because we are missing this part of the text that follows. And my heart is beating so fast right now. I just, I'm at a loss. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I usually, as a, as a doctor, a, a person with a PhD, I, I don't choke up, but, but there I was, was getting a bit, a bit, uh, I'm sorry. But to be professional, Miss Ruby, uh, there are more uh, words in this that we have. Uh, we, we don't know what happened there, but we do have this seemingly random scene with uh, the fish market uh, in the town and a, uh, a whore, a whore at the fish market. And the, uh, the significance of the scene is unclear, but uh, it might have been an early attempt at comedy. Why, my boy, Michael, I do doth see you coming back from thine home, thine house. What bring you in your pockets? An anchovy. You were paid for your body with but an anchovy. An anchovy for a good time. That's what the poster said. Michael, thy low rates are undercutting all of all of us. The demand has plummeted because you have satisfied the town. But all I demand is an anchovy. If that's what I want, why can't I give out this for what I want? I must think of the community, Michael, an anchovy, a sardine. These are but a dime a dozen. And no one else wants these things. Then I shall be king of all the fish, because I shall hoard all the commerce. Dost thou come from wealth, young man? Well, I come from a happy family who says that as long as I'm happy, that's all I need to be doing. Is thine bed as salty as thy pockets filled up to brim with anchovy? That's a bit deep, and my mind does not go to the depths of the ocean. Boy! Thy mind is not as deep as a puddle, a puddle small enough for even an anchovy to thrive upon. Pardon my desires have been unmet across this land, be there a a whore man or a whore boy to satisfy me here in this market of fish. I should like to confirm for the recorded message that it is in fact a boy. Yes, a 
uh, well, as a, a boy who could be a young man, a man of 18 or more, of which I speak. I could do what you request, and I would ask for nothing but a, a, a medium-sized or a larger salmon. A salmon, you say? Are you, art thou worth such a delicious fish? Ah, thou shalt not regret thy purchase, and I fear that you need not talk to anyone else to compare our prices. Hast thou no competition, for thou seem most experienced. Free, free, uh, oh, what was the slogan? Oh, no. Uh, oh, I forget. Uh, good sir, an anchovy for thy... Uh, suggestive, suggestive. Dost thou have water upon thy brain? I do believe that I am a bit dull, but an anchovy, oh, an anchovy for a good time. An anchovy? Why, thou art most dumb and just as I like, and thy payment would be most easily procured. An anchovy only for a good time. Ah, the bargains that are here are the best bargains in all the land. So this is one of those examples where, um, you know, I, I said it earlier, Shakespeare kind of uh, went off the rails a little bit in his earlier works. And I think this is this nailed it. Well, Miss Ruby, I, I have to say that this was about as explicit as Shakespeare ever came, really, in, into describing acts of sex. And I, I think combining it with fish is very telling, don't you think? And yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it draws a lot on the senses, doesn't it? Um, and what I struggle with most is that we don't know where this even appeared in the text. There's zero context for that scene. That could have been the first scene, or it could have been the ending scene. I, I, I really hope that it wasn't the ending scene, but we don't know. This is early Shakespeare. His artistry is yet to have really taken hold in its fullest sense. So I'll, all we really know is we have this kind of grand finale, right? Yes. So the grand finale, obviously the Queen of Fairies is there. But what's strange is that the Queen of Fairies has a mirror and is talking to the mirror, which in Shakespeare's time is called a glass. And then all the other characters appear to be dead already and come as ghosts. It's quite the strange finale. Do I behave ugly? For I have banished towns upon towns upon villages. For what? To protect my forest? To protect my fairies? How could I have been raised in such a way? You said I did not need to die. And yet I did die when the one that I love stepped on me, not knowing that I live. And then I do not live. 
God, Shalom, I'm so sorry that you had to die such a tragic, teeny, tiny little death. Poor Gartam, I cannot pronounce thy name, but thy name lives in my heart, for I didn't know you until it was too late, but now in death I realize you are no anchovy. You are my soulmate. A twig am I, a twig most twig-like. I never was able to pierce anyone's heart. No one cared for me except the Queen of Fairies. And with all the woe and despair and all the death that do here be on view, I at least be happy, the twig be avenged. Oh, my goodness, I step upon a twig and create such a large sound in such a large forest. Brother Ron, are you here? I have come for thee across the bridge against my better knowledge to find the one I believe I've lost. Sister Sassis, go back, for there is naught but danger here. I see. I sense a presence of my brother Ron, yea, but I do not see him in an earthly form. I see. Oh, brother Ron, please do return across the bridge for there is much dismay happening in the kingdom. We need one with wisdom. The the markets are gone to pot. The, the king and the queen have gone to rot. It is a mess of stupidity and anguish. Please tell me you found something in this beyond. Brother Ron, from beyond the veil, I ask you, do you choose to stay here with your Gartolomew or do you go back to your sister's assassins? I can send you but one way or the other. My mind is conflicted for consequences I have not had before, but choosing... But one, a new afterlife with eternal love, or the promise I made to my sister. Choose you love, or do you choose you love? I choose my sister. I'm sorry, Gartolomew, but thy name does not roll off the tongue as easily as Assassin's. I die for no reason whatsoever. Your last day shall not be in vain. And I will make my sister's last days better, not the same. That that right there, better, not the same. Exciting stuff. What a a last day to have. Can you imagine? There there were some other fragments, just to let you know. Uh, Apparently Zeus was in the play. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that... If Zeus and the Queen of Fairies had spoken, it must have been just tremendous. And what evidence was there of, of Zeus? Just just his word upon a page? or uh... There was uh, his name, and then there was some sheeps and goats, and uh, a lot of adjectives, and we couldn't really make sense of it. Uh, there were a lot of charred parts of the text, obviously, but but we know that it must have been exciting because it was the main scene. It was it was about five pages long, but most of it was burnt. Uh, and, and a tidbit to, to end on for our readers is, why was this so charred? Where did you find this? 
oh, so we we found this uh, at the bottom of a fire pit in uh, underneath a parking lot that uh, was done in, in England just recently. And we believe the fire pit was the burning of poetic works. So there were little bits of, of paper from all types of different authors, uh, you know, just, you know, people like Marlowe and Ben Johnson, just, just the and ones like, that. Like Dr. Seuss and. Um... Yes. Like Dr. Seuss, who uh, I need to say did not have a PhD. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking with a real PhD, Dr. Magnus Cronin. Um, thank you so much for coming on Shakespeare, Shaking It Up. Well, Miss Sapphire Ruby, thank you so much for inviting me. All right, everybody. Have a shaky day.